Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. It's April 22nd, 2020. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. Today is the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. And today, back in the day, 1970 was the first annual Earth Day. In 1969, Dennis Hayes, a graduate student at Harvard, pitched the idea to Senator Gaylord Nelson of Wisconsin, who then partnered with Representative Pete McCloskey from California. Dennis Hayes this year is the Emeritus Co-Chair of Earth Day 2020. Earth Day 2020 is going to be happening digitally this year. In an essay in the Seattle Times, Hayes wrote, COVID-19 robbed us of Earth Day this year, so let's make Election Day Earth Day. This November 3rd, he wrote, vote for the Earth. And on this day, back in the day, April 22nd, 2016, the Paris Agreement on Climate Change was signed in New York. The Paris Accord binds 195 nations to slowing global warming. The United States, well, we are in Perry exit. And a reminder, it is X-Ray's fun drive. We will not let democracy die in the social distancing. Just two weeks ago, Wisconsinites, Wisconians? Residents of Wisconsin put their lives on the line to vote in their primary, and we will not forget. X-Ray will continue to bring you the local and long-form candidate interviews, 38 to date content and more to make sure that you have that we gather the information that you need to be an engaged community member and we need you to keep that work going you can donate today at xray.fm you can even talk to a live human being by calling 503-233-9729 it's a crazy thing you call a number and a human being answers it almost all the time sometimes it's voicemail but usually it's a live human being at 503-233-9729 you want to remember that number, you can rewind, or I can say it again, 503-233-X-RAY. And the X-RAY is 9729. Today on The Local, your quick six headlines, an update on Earth Day from Yina Paris and Victoria Clark, organizers with the Sunrise Movement, and our interview with managing editor of the Portland Tribune, Dana Haynes, on their city council endorsements. Do we honestly think this is a good time to get rid of Ted Wheeler? Has Wheeler done anything good enough for us to remove him from the leadership of the city during this unique, and I'm using that word with precision, this unique crisis. First up, today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. I'm Jefferson Smith, and it is Wednesday, April 22nd. Mayor Ted Wheeler's re-election campaign has been found in violation of campaign finance laws, campaign finance disclosure rules specifically. Back in 2018, 87% of Portland voters voted in favor of campaign finance reform that included caps on campaign contributions and a requirement to disclose a candidate's top five donors on campaign materials. Not just posted on some website you don't know where it is. The website is Orstar, by the way. It's run by the Secretary of State's office. It's clunky. It should get revamped, but it's useful. Well, as we discussed with the mayor in our interview, he didn't abide by the campaign contribution limits. A judge had put similar limits on hold until the Oregon Supreme Court had ruled. Well, it turns out Wheeler had not abided by the disclosure part either. The people who put the measure forward filed a complaint against the mayor, and city elections officer Deborah Scroggin determined that Ted Wheeler's campaign did in fact violate the law. Wheeler's campaign manager, Amy Rathfelder, said the campaign was grateful for the city's clarification of the rules and will correct the violations. Thanks to Orstar and the Portland Mercury, here are Wheeler's top donors that he didn't disclose. One is Local 48 Electricians Pack that has donated $95,000. One of their big interests is the highway expansion stuff. Peter Bricks, a venture capital investor and heir of a barge company, has donated a total of $43,500. 
Melvin Mark, one of the biggest commercial real estate outfits in our city, gave Wheeler $31,791. Portland Metropolitan Association of Realtors, their PAC, gave him $25,000. His campaign's fifth largest donor is a tie between seven entities, including Kroger, American Beverage Association, Portland Metro Firefighters PAC, an environmental attorney, and a real estate investor and other manufacturing industry leader. The order says the mayor has until May 5th of 2020 to comply. One of the questions is, will he have already sent out his TV ads and mail pieces by then? And will they include that disclosure information? Because, you know, the election's coming right up. This is Jason Kafori on behalf of Honest Elections Oregon. The truth is, Mayor Wheeler does not want the citizens of Portland to know that most of his major contributors are from big corporations and real estate developers. These campaign reform violations are critical because in the next few weeks, voter pamphlet statements are hitting, ballots are hitting, and if the mayor's not disclosing that he's taking huge donations well above the $500 limits, voters won't know when they're checking the box who is following the will of the 87% of the voters in this town. On behalf of Honest Elections Oregon, we will hold all candidates' feet to the fire who don't follow the will of the 87% of us voters that want big donors out of our elections and big money not controlling what happens at City Hall. Your daily dose of data. The Oregon Health Authority reports 46 new COVID-19 cases as of April 21st. The statewide death toll is 78 people. And of the 2002 total reported cases in Oregon, 24% of them required hospitalization. Looking at covid19.healthdata.org, our curve is flattening. And here is from the website. I'm just quoting. After May 25th, 2020, relaxing social distancing may be possible with containment strategies that include testing, contact tracing, isolation, and limiting gathering size. Governor Kate Brown has given some more details on reopening Oregon. We've been ordered to stay at home for a month now. That's about as long as the locals been happening. Thanks for listening. The governor says a specific timeline for a change in the order will be based on solid data from the state's health agency, local public health agencies, and Brown's medical advisors. We can't be sure what they'll look at, but I'll bet it includes COVID-19.healthdata.org. The governor's tentative announcement offered three phases. The first phase wouldn't start until the state has met preparedness measures and has sufficient hospital capacity and equipment. Reported cases of flu and COVID-19 symptoms would also have to decline for 14 days. During that first phase, all vulnerable people should still stay at home. In public, people should still maximize physical distance and avoid socializing in groups of more than 10 people. And non-essential travel should be kept to a minimum. Large venues like sports arenas and churches would likely be closed during that first phase, as well as gyms. Under a second phase, gatherings of up to 50 people could resume as could non-essential travel. Schools and gyms could be open as long as people stayed physically distant. And in the third phase, the size of gatherings allowed would increase. Staffing at work sites wouldn't be restricted. People could visit nursing homes and restaurants and bars could have more seating. The process will take weeks rather than days, and troll bots and astroturfing protesters were not reached for comment. An update on the Oregon jobless crisis. Congress authorized unemployment benefits for self-employed people last month. More than three weeks later, many Oregonians have no word on the status of their claims and no benefits checks. Collectively, the state owes well over $100 million in unpaid benefits to over 300,000 out-of-work Oregonians. 
the Oregon Employment Department has just been unable to keep up. Phone lines remain clogged, technical glitches delay claims. Oregon's outdated technology is partially to blame. It's unable to adapt to process claims from newly eligible self-employed workers or to make other updates like eliminating that waiting week. Multiple other states are struggling with the same technology issues. That, though, is small consolation for tens of thousands of laid-off Oregonians. Oregon's rural areas are heavily affected as well. Some rural counties have sent letters to Governor Brown requesting a reprieve from the statewide business closures. Five rural Oregon counties have zero diagnosed cases. That means that 31 Oregon counties have diagnosed cases. As groceries adapt, they are encouraging shoppers to shop less, or at least less frequently. Grocery stores have been one of the hardest hit industries in the pandemic. Plexiglass walls have been put up in front of most cashiers. Hours have been adjusted. Seniors and healthcare workers can come in at adjusted hours. Hours have changed to give workers more time for deep cleaning. As grocery stores update their policies, the Oregonian laid out a guideline for grocery shopping over the next few weeks. Here are the guidelines. Go as infrequently as possible. Stock up when you go, but don't hoard. Shop alone. Wear a mask. Keep your distance. Limit your time in the store by making a list. And, and purchase only what you need. That's another way of saying don't hoard. Stores are limiting purchase numbers for some of the most sought-after items. And some stores are letting customers know they won't accept returns on overpurchased items. In an effort to do what? Stop hoarding. From PDX Alerts, because at least two of you wanted some PDX Alerts, police to Chevron Tomahawk Island call a reporting a couple having sex in the grass near the electrical box. Not socially distanced, near high voltage... This past weekend, Salty's on Marine Drive, not to be confused with Salty's Pet Supply in North Portland, a locally owned store that also happens to be an X-ray supporter, reported two dozen street racers gathering on Marine Drive. And on the Washington County scanner, Highway 217, northbound south of Walker, mama and baby ducks in the road, people stopped. Careful with the street racing. You never know if there might be baby ducks. And finding money in the couch kind of good news. Portland area 3D printmakers are using their powers for good. Connor Weller, who got his 3D printing start with cookie cutters, has created a maker network called MakerForce, activating 200 volunteers to use their 3D printers to create PPE. MakerForce and its allies, that's like awesome group name, MakerForce, have delivered 1,516 face shields, 3,850 eye shields, 200 ear savers, 500 sewn masks between late March when production began on April 17th. Shashi Jane, co-founder of MakerForce and an Intel manager, says, We've achieved over 9,000 print hours in 22 days. That's over one year of 3D printer time. Makers of compatible skill sets can sign up online as volunteer suppliers and claim PPE manufacturing requests that best suit their capabilities. We've shared that John Krasinski and Jennifer Garner have been sharing Oregon stories nationally. Now, Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis are making us talk about them, too. No, giving Oregon some love. Battle Creek Cellars and Turner is partnering with the couple to produce a new wine called Quarantine. A 2018 Willamette Valley Pinot Noir, 100% of the profits will be donated to charities helping first responders during the COVID-19 pandemic. Speaking of Oregon examples, now if the rest of the country would just adopt vote by mail. That's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. I'm Jefferson Smith, and you, you're listening to The Local. Here's Emily Gilliland on What's Next. Thanks, Jefferson. Now an update on Earth Day from Yenna Paris and Victoria Clark, organizers with Sunrise Movement PDX. Yenna and Victoria share their personal connection to the Green Movement 
how Earth Day will be celebrated virtually this year, and ways to celebrate every day. April 22nd marks the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. That's right, started in 1970, Earth Day has been around five decades. Today we are joined by organizers from Sunrise Movement PDX to discuss what the day means and opportunities to celebrate the day and carry the values forward into every day. Welcome Yenna Paris, Virtual Rally Youth Organizer, and Victoria Clark, Sunrise PDX, In-Person Action Organizer to X-Ray. Good morning. Good morning. So glad that you are with us. Victoria, let's start with you. What is Sunshine Movement PDX? So the Sunrise Movement PDX is a group of young people who are working together to uplift each other's voices and empower our generations to become active in the fight against the climate crisis. And how did you get involved in the work, Victoria? I got involved last year when one of my teachers actually recommended that I find a hub. Excellent. Where do you go to school? I graduated from Reynolds last year. Oh, excellent. Excellent. And Yana, how how did you get involved in this work? Um, I originally got involved in this work this summer by organizing the September 20th strike. Um, they reached out to a bunch of youth activists in Portland, and I came and started showing up to meetings, and I've been really engaged with the movement ever since. Fantastic. And, Yenna, you are the Virtual Rally Youth Organizer. What does that mean? Yeah, so um, originally for Earth Day, our plan was to have another um, rally like we had on the September 20th day, but then what ended up happening, of course, is that, like, COVID-19 happened and of course we don't want to endanger anybody by asking them to come outside and have a giant rally so we took it virtual and so now we're planning for a virtual rally on Earth Day 4 to 5 30 and we're going to have a bunch of really cool speakers talk about different climate policies and topical issues to the community. Oh that's fantastic and how do folks watch that? So um, people can RSVP to the event at the 350PDX website, 350PDX.org, or they can also go to the Facebook page at 350PDX and then RSVP. And then when you RSVP, you get put on a list, and then the link to actually see the live stream is going to be sent to you. Oh, fantastic. And who are some of the speakers that you're expecting? Um, Some of the speakers that we have lined up are Commissioner John Hardesty, and also we have a panel of youth organizers from YEJA, the Youth Environmental Justice Alliance. We're going to have them talk about Youth Pass, which is this really cool environmental justice campaign about um, free public transport. And then we also have some speakers talking about the Oregon Green New Deal and um, some other really cool things. That's awesome. And Yenna... What are you hoping to accomplish with this Earth Day virtual rally? So what we're really hoping to accomplish is just bring people together and celebrate the 50th anniversary of Earth Day, which was like the kickstart to the modern environmental movement. We want to like educate people on local and topical policy issues and also get them involved. It's also a time to like bring the community together at a really scary time for all of us. So it's, yeah. And Victoria, you know, Earth Day brings everybody together and focuses us on the environment, on a healthier planet. What are some of the actions that people can take every day so that those values show up, not just on Earth Day, but every day? Uh, yeah, so 
you can do a lot of things. You can ride your bike. You can try to reduce your uh, carbon footprint. But you can also just support the work that your local climate justice organizations are doing each and every day, whether that's through donating or just reaching out and finding out how you can support them and their actions. That's a great list. Yenna, anything that you would add to that list of ways that we can observe sustainability, think about making the planet healthier? Um, I would say really just getting involved and really like if you're in a position or you have the pr- privilege to help, it's like really just realizing that and taking that privilege or using that position to actually help those who are being impacted. Like we do a lot of climate justice work and climate justice is all about like recognizing the fact that the communities and populations within our society that are already the most vulnerable, like um, five POC populations or low income populations, like those are the most vulnerable already because of structural inequalities. But then they're also the most risk, like they're also hurt the most by the climate crisis. And so, yeah, that's what I would say. Yana, where can folks find out more information about the Sunrise Movement? Sunshine Movement. Yeah, Sunrise Movement. Um, they can find more about the Sunrise Movement on any social media platform. The Sunrise Movement is there. Sunrisemovement.org is their website. Mm-hmm. Um, they can find their local hub. Sunrise has this awesome network that they have, like, different hubs in different neighborhoods where you can join with your local hub and start getting involved and get connected to the network. I think Victoria can also speak a little more on this because she's actually um, more experienced with organizing for Sunrise. Excellent. Our website, sunrisepdx.org, and you can also find us on all social media platforms. Excellent. Yana and Victoria, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for having us. Again, you yeah, can- thank you so much. Again, you can find out more about the Sunrise Movement PDX at sunrisepdx.com. Next up is an interview with Dana Haynes, Managing Editor of the Portland Tribune. Dana shares insights on the Portland Tribune's endorsement process with a record number of candidates running and COVID-19 limiting in-person access to candidates. Their endorsements might just surprise you. May 19th is Oregon's turn to go to the mailbox and vote. As a reminder, April 28th is the voter registration deadline in Oregon. With the election getting closer, endorsements are starting to emerge. Today, we have Dana Haynes on the show to discuss the Portland Tribune's recent endorsements for the Portland City Hall races. Welcome, Dana. Hey, Emily. So what does the Tribune's endorsement process look like? Well, what the Tribune's endorsement process looks like is nothing like what happened this year. (laughs) This is a really unusual year for the obvious reasons. What we normally do is, you know, five, seven, eight people decide to run for an office and we make them traipse into our office where they sit down around an oblong table and they meet the editorial board, which consists primarily of the publisher, president, and several of the editors. And then we ask them a whole bunch of questions. After they've left, we mull our thoughts and then we come up with an endorsement. We generally uh, ask the reporter upon whose beat we're covering what that person thinks, although the reporter doesn't have a, a vote on the editorial board. In this case, Jim Redden is our city hall reporter. goes without saying that none of that happened this year uh, for three reasons. The first was that an enormous number of people ran. There were 54 candidates for four seats at city hall. Mm. Second, we had the coronavirus, which means we needed to do it all via Zoom video. 
which was a complicating factor. And third, we had our own round of layoffs and furloughs, which meant that our staff was greatly reduced. So this year we did a much different system that involved actually physically meeting fewer people, winnowing the numbers down in advance, and then trying to do triage and make it work. Mm. So anything surprising emerge from this year's interviews? Yeah, a couple of things. Some of the incumbents or longstanding uh, uh, politicos didn't quite shine the way I thought they might have. People mm-hmm. who are sometimes really good, you know, run a lot, didn't quite step up, whereas in some political newcomers showed us some stuff we didn't anticipate. We had one election. It was uh, for City Hall position number four. That's the mm-hmm. Chloe Daily spot. Um, of the four people involved in the interviews, zero of the four thought we were going to endorse whom we endorsed, who was Keith Wilson, because none of us had met him before. And then he pulled us over in the interview, and we, and to our mutual surprise, he's where we are. I'll be darned. So let's let's go into the other races that you're covering. What did you learn from the mayor's race candidates? Well, we'd made a couple of decisions on that one. Mm-hmm. First off, uh, we went through the list of who we thought was viable candidates. We went through the situation that Portland's in right now with the uh, – the coronavirus and the quarantine and all of that. And the first decision that, that the editorial board made is, do we honestly think this is a good time to get rid of Ted Wheeler? Has Wheeler done anything good enough for us to remove him from the leadership of the city during this unique, and I'm using that word with precision, this unique crisis? And our answer then was no. We didn't think he had done uh, anything there were times when he never impressed us. There were times when he didn't wow us or knock us off our feet. But he also didn't just blow things badly. And we thought, okay, this year is probably not the year to lose him. Once we'd made that decision, hmm. um, then we did not bring in any of the other candidates to interview. So that that was the first triage decision. There were some really good candidates. There were some candidates we never heard of. Who were, and that happens in every race. A few mm-hmm. people just show up because it seems like an interesting thing to try and do. I mean, uh, Sarah... Uh, Ayanna Rone, I'm probably mispronouncing her. Ayanna Rone, uh huh. She's a viable candidate for sure, and she's really cognizant of the issues, and she's well read. Um, Teresa Rayford, she and I have uh, a relationship. I've known her for a long period of time. She's very, very smart, very organized, really good at organizing people. So there were some good candidates out there, but at the end of the day, our final um, North Star on that one was is this the year to remove the mayor during this time of crisis? And has Ted done anything wor- to be worthy of removing him? And we said no. And so your endorsement is for Mayor Ted Wheeler. Yeah, we endorse Mayor Ted Wheeler. Not to say that we're always madly in love with Ted. There are times I think he is not the shiniest mayor that a major American city has ever had. He also didn't have massive, massive screw-ups this year. Mm. So then let's talk about City Council Position 1. This is Amanda Fritz's seat. How many folks did you interview? What did you learn? And who did you endorse? Um, that one was, a, there were a, a, a lot of people running for uh, number one. There were nine candidates there. We interviewed, I, I want to say, six of the nine. Uh, and the way we triaged it down is once everybody had filed the run, then we sent out a questionnaire that said, would you please fill out this questionnaire? Anybody who didn't, we took off the list because they we didn't think they were going to be uh, uh, serious candidates. Of the people we had left, um, we interviewed a bunch of folks, and we finally decided that Carmen Rubio was um, by far the right pick for this. Now, Carmen is the executive director of the Latino Network. Uh, She was raised in Hillsboro, granddaughter of immigrants. Uh, She worked for uh, Multnomah County Commissioner Serena Cruz as a staff Mm -hmm. member. She worked for Mayor Tom Potter. She worked for uh, Commissioner Nick Fish. 
and she's been running the Latino Network since 2009, and her list of endorsements is an absolute who's who of Oregon. She's got major environmental, union, other elected officials. Um, just her endorsement list was great. We've worked with Carmen. We know the Latino Network, and we agreed amongst ourselves that even before we talked to anybody, that she was the presumptive frontrunner for that one. And sure enough, after uh, doing our research, we agreed that Carmen would be a really, really good um, city council member. As we said in the endorsement, she isn't just the best candidate for that job. She may be the best candidate to run for a city council position in many years. And how do you qualify that? What makes her the best candidate uh, in years? She has a record for getting stuff done and bringing together coalitions, especially of underrepresented uh, organizations. She has good business relationships. She's got good union relationships. She's got good relationships with other lawmakers, elected officials, at the city, the county, the metro, and the state level, as well as federal. She got endorsed by our uh, fed- uh, our uh, congressional delegation as well. Mm-hmm. Um, she uh, had, The job of representing the underrepresented is always a tough nut. She started in 2009 with about, I, I, if my memory serves, she had 12 people on her staff. Today she's got 120. Uh, the Latino network has grown and is pretty important. I mean, in our perspective, it really is a strong voice that accomplishes quite a bit. And again, she's brought together a lot of folks from a lot of disparate uh, points of view to endorse her. So considering that we had our, we had uh, experience with her in the past, based on this list of endorsements is as long as my femur, we really mm-hmm. thought that Carmen was the right pick. Mm. City Council position two, this is the seat that Nick Fish held and is completing his term after he passed away from cancer late in 2019. Huge number of candidates in this race. Uh, What did you learn and who did you end up endorsing? Um, A couple of thoughts on this one. Because Nick Fish died, this is the reason there are four seats up this year. This Mm -hmm. is uh, unheard of for Oregon to have this many. There's actually a mathematical way in which all the two incumbents who are running lose and we get two new people for the other two seats and Joanne Hardesty, who was elected last year, becomes the senior most member of the council. Mm-hmm. It would be a weird uh, needle to thread, but it's conceivable, it's mathematically possible what happened. But in this race, we um, spoke to, uh, uh, I think, six or seven candidates uh, on that one, including Loretta Smith, who is a former uh, county commissioner, including Sam Chase, who'd been a city hall staffer and also a metro elected official. At the end of the day, we went with Dan Ryan. Ryan is well known in journalism circles, but he's not known, well known in political or city hall circles. He's the fellow who created All Hands Raised. All Hands Raised used to be the Portland Public Schools Foundation. Under Ryan's, I don't forget, 20 years of 25 years of leadership, it became All Hands Raised to represent Portland schools, but also Park Rose, David Douglas, Centennial, Reynolds, and Gresham Barlow. And when asked back in the day, why did he want to expand the footprint of the Portland Public Schools Foundation to represent all those, he said, that's where the poverty is, that's where the need is, that's where we ought to be working. Mm. That alone really impressed us. Secondly, most of us have worked with him one time or another and know that this guy has been really good about finding and bringing together coalitions, again, like Carmen Rubio, of the business community and the union community coming together to support schools. And quite often, he'll get people who have businesses or have residents in Portland and convince them, yeah, it's important to put money into Park Rose, it's important to put money into David Douglas or Gresham Barlow, because that's where the need is. Mm-hmm. Um, he lives in North Portland. Uh, he would be the only member of the council uh, living in North Portland. 
Um, he would be an absolute newcomer to a bunch of issues like, you know, water and sewer or development services. He'd have a learning curve. But on the other hand, he's been um, he's been navigating the waters of of, of uh, not profit fundraising for schools for a long time. So, mm-hmm. frankly, we thought he would be able to 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 uh, to figure that job out. So we went with Dan Ryan as a re- guy with a really big heart and a 30 years of experience bringing coalitions together. Now, in this race, you have folks, as you mentioned, to our either current or former elected officials, you have nonprofit leaders, you have organizers. It's a really diverse, interesting yeah. group of candidates. Was there anyone else that was close in your discerning for this particular endorsement? Yeah, Tara Hurst. It was a very near thing. We almost endorsed Tara Hurst. Tara has a, a couple of things she's known as primarily right now. She's um, executive director of Renew Oregon. Renew Oregon is an environmental group. They were very influential in the efforts of the legislature in the last uh, two, three years to put together a cap-and-trade policy and to start addressing our carbon production. More importantly, though, she was the former uh, chief of staff to Portland Mayor Charlie Hale. Now, in Portland's form of government, the three people who best know the whole budget are the budget director, the mayor, and the mayor's chief of staff because that troika puts together and writes every year the budget for all of the bureaus. If you're an elected member of the city council, you may understand Transpo because you're the commissioner of transportation, or you may understand water and sewer because you're the commissioner of water and sewer. But nobody understands the whole thing, all of the bureaus, the way the mayor, the mayor's chief of staff, and the budget department do. So I, I have full disclosure here, I've worked with Tara for two or three years. I've known her for a long time. She's really, really smart. And she's been one of those persons who's been the architect of the city budget. So she came in as a very, very close second. Now, somebody's looking for a member of the city council with impeccable enviro chops, Tara mm-hmm. Hurst would be the right pick. If you're looking for somebody who's got impeccable education uh, chops, well, then we think it's Dan Ryan. Dana, I want to get back to city council position four. This is this is a race with really interesting candidates. You've got you Daly as the incumbent. You've got former mayor Sam Adams. Uh, running for this position. You've got Mingus Maps, who um, has worked in the city, and then Keith Wilson, who you've already mentioned that you all endorsed. What was the process of this particular endorsement like? Well, we met with all of the primaries in this one. Uh, we met with Sam and we, uh, Commissioner Udaley, uh, former Mayor Sam Adams and Commissioner Udaley, and we met with Mingus Maps. And um, I tell you honestly that at the beginning of the process, um, and I don't mean this to sound as pejorative as it does, but at the beginning of the process, we thought one of the persons we were meeting at via Zoom was a kind of goofy-looking white guy with big ears, and we thought, well, we're not sure who this guy is, but these other candidates are clearly more qualified. And then he started talking to us, and the more he talked, the more we thought, wow, this guy is read up on his subjects. He knows what he's talking about. He's a successful businessman. Keith Wilson uh, is president of a uh, trucking company Mm -hmm. uh, that his father started. He's a lifelong Portland resident, went to PCC, Oregon State, University of Portland. He's the president of Titan Freight Systems, which he says he would sell if he was elected. He says all the right things on the issues of diversity. Uh, He's got some scathing reviews on how Oregon and Portland have treated the unsheltered homeless population. Uh, he was unflagging in his in his criticism that if we allow people to live on the streets, we're not the city that we say we are. Uh, and he was he was pretty strong on that. He had really good strong things to say about the 
uh, underrepresented and uh, lower income populations about how East County doesn't get the same services that other, other parts of the city get. Um, we were really surprised to like Keith Wilson. And literally, we did a, what we call a, as an after action or a post-mortem where we all got together via Zoom. And all four of the people who'd been in the room or who'd been on the conference call said, you guys aren't going to believe it, but I'm actually leaning towards Wilson. And all four of us said that. Mm-hmm. So that one, he came out of left field, completely surprised us, felt at the end of the day that we had to go with him. Now, as you think back on all these interviews that you've had with candidates, were there any questions that really divided the candidates? Um, there were no for sure absolute ones. For instance, Mingus Maps was a very close pick call for us. We darn near went with him. Again, he's got a long, long list of endorsements, very, very talented guy. He would, would he do well in the city? There's no question he would. And we liked Mingus Maps for some of the same reasons we liked Keith Wilson, and that was a, that was a tough call. Mm-hmm. Um, if there was one question that we got interesting answers for, it was this. Portland has a almost unique and uniquely goofy form of city governance. There's no other major city in America that still uses the old Galveston model with the city commission and no city manager. And since we're in a time of crisis, is this the time to change that? And we heard a lot of people who said, oh, it's worth studying and maybe we should. And it, that's it, something to think about. And a couple of the candidates just said flat out, oh, yeah, it's stupid. Let's change it. Uh, <laughs> one of them was Dan Ryan, who said, I like keeping Portland weird, but let's stop keeping Portland stupid. Um, and a crisis is, is, is the thing that should never go to waste. Mingus Maps said that. Since we're in a crisis, this is the time to go ahead and take some big, strong steps and change how we've done things for 90 years in, in Portland because they're goofy. Mm. And what does your coverage look like in the final weeks of this primary? Um, the coverage is continuing. Uh, 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 one of uh, We did have uh, some layoffs, and we've had people go down to 24 hours per week of furlough. So that's been really tough. But Jim Redden is one of the most experienced uh, terrific reporters co- who's ever covered City Hall. He's continued to cover it. Uh, we have, in the last three, four years, transitioned from being a paper that came out twice a week in print to a daily uh, online publication. And then once a week, the best of our online stories gets curated into a print publication. Mm-hmm. So Jim generates stories, and I use plural stories, every single day out of City Hall. Um, his coverage has been exemplary, and I'm, I'm really honored to work with the guy who's been doing it as long as he did. You may remember that Jim had been Willamette Week back in the day, and mm-hmm. then he and his brother created their own publication, PDXS, and he's been with the Trib since 2000. Uh, he's got more experience covering City Hall than I've got, and I once went on and worked at City Hall. Mm-hmm. So um, I, he's, he's really pretty remarkable. Our, continue, our coverage is going to continue right up until couple of weeks from now when the voting deadline ends and then people's going to start getting their ballots shortly after that and we're going to cover it right up to election day. Excellent. Dana Haynes, thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's always a pleasure. Again, that's Dana Haynes, managing editor of Portland Tribune. You can find out more at pamphletmedia.com. Thanks to Yina, Victoria, and Dana for joining The Local and thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown in about 30 minutes. Again, we would love your support of the work at X-Ray. Become a member at 15 bucks a month. You'll get a cool new shirt or a record tote. When you become a member, go to xray.fm, click the blue donate button. Or if you want to talk to a live human, 503-233-9729. We can be together while we're apart. If you got story ideas, remember, send us an email at the local at xray.fm. Talk to you tomorrow.
In the meantime, stay home, stay connected, and thank you, democracy. <laughs>